0: I have a set like kind of warm-ups that i do just to help myself get from a to b as quickly as possible you know so i'm ready to play um but there's that also entails playing a tune and also entails playing like improvising something whether it's just something small or blues but anything just to be creative just to suddenly you know brush out those cobwebs
1: this episode contains adult language and adult humor since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Brad Mason. Brad is all about balance. Whether it's in his role as the lead trumpet musical director for the legendary Blood, Sweat and Tears, co-leading the Mason Brothers Quintet with his brother, Elliot, or teaching trumpet at Northwestern University, Brad strives to find the balance of honoring the history and tradition of our trumpet lineage with the need to develop an updated approach to the technique and creativity needed in the world of modern music. Plus he knows how to rock the facial hair. So pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. Welcome uh, to a brand new episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang, and I am joined by Mr. Brad Mason. Brad, thank you so much for being with me today, man.
0: Thank you, Jose, for having me. I appreciate being here.
1: Oh man, this is great. Um, you know, I've been—I uh, got—I got, I got hip to you. I think, man. Uh, I mean, I—I—I I, I guess in retrospect, I've probably heard you play for many years but just didn't realize who you were but uh you know just the past uh couple years especially this past year really kind of got uh hip to your stuff the stuff you're doing with blood sweat and tears and and so then and that kind of then got me going like so many things you, know, you get turned on to something and then you start digging into people's libraries right, and, right. and stuff like that right, all so, kinds of stuff <laughs> yeah so i mean you've got a really uh you've had a really great career i mean you're still a young man um uh, not to not to pinch tower power on that but uh you know you're, you're 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 relatively young cat you know you but you've done so much in your career um you know how how did that happen i mean how, how did things happen how did a guy from england end up being you know this this go-to guy in uh, so many of these these great uh bands that you've been able to, to be a part of over the past uh past decade or so
0: well um First off, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, I appreciate the, uh, the love right there. Um, growing up in England, like I really, I just, I had a dream. I, I was in, it's probably about 15 years old. I heard Maynard Ferguson's Big Bop Nouveau Band at Ronnie Scott's, my dad, who was a trumpet player. We'll, we'll talk about my history, but my dad, who was a trumpet player, took me to see Maynard's band at, at Ronnie Scott's a big Bob nouveau a big Bob nouveau band and it was uh, roger ingram mm-hmm. um, walter white and i think craig johnson um with the trumpet section with maynard and at that moment i said to myself man i've got to go to america i need to i need to study with the cats that these guys are starting with i need to learn you know the 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 jazz uh, from where it came from, you know, like the country that it came from. So at that moment, I said to myself, I need to go to America. And that's when I started looking at Berkeley colleges, uh, different colleges in the United States. And I got a scholarship to Berkeley, came out to Boston. It was a big move from my small town in in, uh, a small city in in, in England called uh, Norwich. It was a bit of a big move. Um, Left my family, left everybody. My brother was still you know, with my mum and dad at the time, and um, came out here to the United States to, to try and follow my dream and, and, and be around what I considered the people that were creating this art form, jazz and, and the trumpet players that I looked up to it was just, you know, they were all here. So at that point, um, I was lucky to get a scholarship to Berkeley. Um, I moved out to Boston and um, studied there for four years. And, you know, we all, we all really, um, at that time, that college time in our life, you know, we start realizing, oh, we've got to study. We've got to, we've got to practice. We really got to get into practicing too. So I think that work ethic, my dad was a trumpet player. So he kind of put that work ethic in me about practicing all the time. I was always practicing from an early age but that work ethic in college where you realize, okay, I've got to start shedding because the person next to me sounds amazing in that practice room. The person this side of me sounds amazing. So that work ethic, I think in college, if you can hold on to that, build on that and take that forward in life, that's how I feel uh, enables you to keep growing as a musician and as a trumpet player. Yeah. And, and that helps you get to hopefully some good places in life later on.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, just the, the the fact that you were willing to leave the comfort of, you know, your home, you know, the place that you knew and, and right. not just like, you know, go, go uh, you know, 100 or 200 miles away to the, you know, to a university, but to actually go to a different country um, and to do that, you know, th- that says a lot because I feel like sometimes people are are too uh, willing to compromise on their dreams because it pushes them outside of their comfort zone. And, you know, it, it seems like you have that attitude of, you know, if I want to do this and I got to, I got to go where it's happening and I've got to be with the big fish. I can't, I can't just stay here and, and, you know, be comfortable. And, and, you know, you, so you, you threw yourself right into the mix of things. So, you know, that's, that's definitely a great um, attribute to have. So uh, at Berkeley, um like who were some of the cats that were that were there when you were uh, going to school
0: Actually we had a, an amazing cast of characters at Berkeley at that time uh, I was there from 91 to 95 and we had some of the the most amazing dramas there at the time when I was there Antonio Sanchez was there when I was there um also uh, John Blackwell drummer for Prince um okay. Uh, also, um, Nathaniel Morton, he was there, great drummer. He plays on the, the Voice right now. He's the drummer for the Voice TV show in LA. Um, saxophone player uh, Tiomdrus Avery, Christopher Holiday, um, both great jazz saxophone players, uh, trumpet players. Uh, Justin Mullins was there while I was there. He's a great trumpet player in New York. Here, uh, works a lot. Um, also, um, bass player Matt Matt Garrison was there. Uh, Jimmy Garrison's son, phenomenal. We had just a, a great uh, cast of uh, of people there at this time. And but just going back to what you said before, like it really um, about coming back into uh, coming out here to study and and to to make that jump. It's about I think it, it just in life in general. It's about pushing yourself to be. Uh, just to be in the most, to to, to study and just to to grow as much as possible. It's like put yourself in a place where you can grow from your surroundings, the people you're around. It's like trying to be on stage with as as great musicians as possible because you're gonna learn from them. You're gonna take something away from that. It's always, in my opinion, it's always best to be the, the weakest link on stage and try and grow and raise your level, raise your bar, you know, to be around the people that you're around on stage.
1: Right, right. That's absolutely 100% spot on. Um,
0: it's not comfortable, mind
1: you. <laughs> you know, it's that it puts you out of your comfort zone, but
0: it definitely, I think you have the most growth when, when you're around people that push you.
1: Yeah, you know, and that—that that, that is, like for me, I, I feel like I've made the most progress in my life, regardless of what it is, whether, you know, it's music or, or business or anything else. It's like being around people who, Challenge me, um, you know. I, I love being that. I love being the dumbest guy in the room. I love love being the worst guy, the worst player in the room, because then I kind of step my step. Not only do I step my game up, because you know I know I have to, but you know it's keeping my eyes and ears and mind open because there's so many lessons that yeah. you're able exactly. to learn. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, a friend of mine. Uh, he was a he's a trumpet player as well but um yeah he was in school uh he went to berkeley and he was there at the same time that roy hargrove was and he talks about like you know it's like you know going up there and yeah yeah okay yeah i'm yeah i feel pretty good about myself and it's like okay all right well (laughs) time, time to hit the shed you know so those those are those really great uh inspirations you know you either can if your ego gets in the way and you hear somebody that's better than you, then it's real easy to then, um, actually to quit. I know a lot of people that have done that, you know, it's like, there's like, well, I'm not as good as that guy. And, you know, so they, they just, they, they chuck it and then other people, it's just, it's the inspiration, um, to go. So that's, that's super, I think. that's super.
0: Yeah. That's the key is to, is the way that you interpret it. The way that you interpret his hearing somebody great. If you hear somebody great and it, and and fear comes up. I think that's the wrong reaction to me. It's like you should be inspired. I try and get inspired by hearing great people to elevate myself, not to be. You know, we can always be like, "Whoa, that that was incredible." That guy played. What is that? Mm-hmm. How did he? Like, how did he? How did he approach this? What was it he was playing? And try and figure it out to you know to maybe add something to your own playing, your own vocabulary. Um, yeah. I think it's it's all the perception on how you in the end, how you interpret that. If you interpret it with fear or you interpret it with like, okay, I, I wanna know what that was, or I wanna add that into my own playing.
1: Yeah, well actually, and, and you know, I wanna get back later to uh, how you got involved with in Blood, Sweat and Tears, but that actually is a really good segue into something uh, because I've seen a couple of videos recently of you and uh, Ravi, Ravi Best.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: doing, uh, doing some trades uh, on, the, on the Blood, Sweat and Tears show. And, you know, you're a great player and Rami, he's no slouch. I mean, he's, he is a a damn fine player. Yeah, great,
0: Great player, great dude.
1: Yeah. And to see you two and listen to you two and, you know, it, it's like, I get the impression that every night when you guys do that, that you're kind of pushing each other a little bit. It's like, okay, you know, last night was good, but, you know, I'm going to bring you, I'm going to bring a little heat here. And, and it's feeding off of each other, not trying to show each other up, but, you know, like trying to push each other to take it just a little bit further and to uh, really test your abilities as a player in that positive way. Am I reading that correctly?
0: It's, it certainly feels like that on stage, If especially, I mean, all the trumpet players that I think I, I've had a chance to play with in Blood, Sweat and Tears, um, that moment we get to go out there, um, I don't think it's usually not ego-based. It's usually, you know, let's have some fun, play some music um, and, you know, trade off each other. Like a lot of the times we'll start, someone will start the, his solo with the phrase that the last person just played, or someone like, like recently Ravi and me have been going backwards where he would quote a tune and I'd quote a tune and like that just like, like a two-bar thing in it And like we went through the stage of quoting Freddie Hubbard tunes uh in, in like the first part of just like a bar of it or two bars of it backwards and forwards you know so there was some it, that kind of thing like having that conversation with each other and then kind of seeing what direction it goes and then building it up building the energy up and then going into the upper register at the end I mean I think that's that's just kind of, I mean To me, when I've watched some of my favorite trumpet players playing, you know, with each other, it seems like they're inspiring each other, you know, it seems like they're trying to push each other to that next level. And you hear just from the creative side, also the range side, it's what's great about the trumpet, we can, you know, go up into the upper register and, and have a little battle up there, but also in the low register, you've got this, you know, the lines you can do or the uh, the harmonic things you can do to like kind of explore new avenues together and then um there was a, a thing we did recently with Robbie I me mean, we we both went into the same uh Freddy Hubbard uh bird like uh kind of there was a couple of phrases from the bird like solo which we hadn't even talked about until after the gig and we are like oh you quoted that from from bird like and that, you know, that kind of thing we both had the same You know, we'd both done the same homework, studying the same kind of uh, trumpet lineage and focused on this one uh, bird-like solo that we had both checked out. And um, I think that having that kind of thing pop out from another player who's standing next to you, like, oh, this guy's been listening and checking out the same stuff I have, having that connection with them, that's inspiring. It's like like having uh, something in common with someone that is completely it's not life-related. It's just totally trumpet music-related. Right. It's like a very tiny little category of of, of this of uh, something that you now you have you have that in common with this person. You know that's so uh, yeah. We've been having a great time with blood, sweat, and tears. And I mean, there's not many gigs out there where you get a chance to. I mean, the, the, basically the show stops, comes down to a van, and we get to go out there and just blow. Yeah, and just play. And there's not many gigs out there right now where you have an opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, everyone in the band actually has a, has a moment on the stage in, their, in, in the gig where they have their moment to do to do their thing. Yeah. But uh, it's yeah, it's a pretty it's a fun experience right now. The band is great. The musicianship is fantastic. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of new stuff we do as well. Um, If you haven't seen the show in the last, you know, five years, um, 10 years, five years, 10 years, it's, it's definitely a new, it's a new experience now. We still do all the hits. Uh, We've got a great lead singer at the front, funding the band. It's, it's a really, really good, fun situation.
1: Well, you know, I, I really, I yeah, I was hoping I was going to be able to, to catch you guys uh, as you were swinging down like through Rehoboth and stuff like that, but uh, you yeah, uh, know that didn't work out for me for various reasons. But um, yeah, I definitely want to catch a show, but you know, with a band like that that has such history, I mean, not just in in the 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 general world of music, but specifically for trumpet players. I mean, when you go back to the early the original days of blood sweat and tears and and you know that music that horn section really kind of um yeah it, it was really important in the formation of the placement of of horns in pop music you know blood sweat and tears chicago uh, those that to me are, are like the, the, the quintessential, uh, yeah. And then of course, obviously earth, wind and fire and, and you know, bands like that, but, and but how,
0: how, like, to me, those four yeah, bands, were yeah. like the, they were the ones that to me, like basically brought horns into the popular music. Um, I think there's slightly the slight differences between all those bands is the slight, you know, the, the, the variations of how that is, I think BS and T out of all of those has more of a jazz influence. Mm-hmm. So, like the horn section, kind of came from slightly more of a jazz uh, background, right? Concept and the, and the writing and the soloing in the tunes a little looser. Some more soloing uh, is happening, you know, with the BS and T stuff. But um, all four of those bands are key, I think, for for bringing horns into popular music uh, back in that time. Um, yeah, but they, but but for me, BS and T has that. It still ha- we still have that thing where there's sections that are open. It's just like, okay, this is open play now. And it's like, that doesn't happen so much, you know, in, in many forms of music right now.
1: Exactly. But I mean, I, you know, I, I can't, I can just imagine myself being there and, and feeling, you know, the ghost of Lou Soloff looking over my shoulder and just feeling that, that kind of, that kind of pressure, you know, so do you, do you feel like, you know, with, with upholding this, uh tradition this lineage of music um do you feel like like there's maybe a little different pressure on you as a trumpet player in this gig as opposed to you know like the john mayer gig or you know diana ross or something like that where where it's more of, of a support as opposed to with bs and t where where the horns are an integral part of the music
0: i mean obviously i i grew up listening to this music this was like some stuff that I, I've listened to from an early age. And obviously Lou Soloff is a is a trumpet hero to most of us. You know, he's he's a legend. And ov- obviously you had Randy Brecker that was in the be- in the band at the beginning too. But the, the, the horn lineage of this band is so high. I mean, you've had the who is who that has come through this band. Um so yes, as far as the the, the level of um I'm not going to say the word stress it's not the level of stress but the level of you know you you expect what's expected of the band is the horn section is expected to bring it every single night and that's one thing that i actually feel is great about this band is that it's not a band with a horn section it's like the horn section is part of the unit when we set up we're like same as the same exactly where the guitars are, the side of the stage. It's not like the horn sections in the back, and we're wearing black, and it's it's not that at all. We we're, we're an intricate part of the actual show, the music. I mean, it demands that the horns are a huge part of the music. So the show itself, it's like the horn section. We're coming out here doing this, featured, you know, featured on 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 basically all the tunes we play on the horn section does, but there's somewhere we go out and just the two of us, maybe trumpet and sax do something. Um, or the whole horn section goes out and does something in the middle of a song. Uh, you know, so it's, it's really, um, it's not in any way thought of as, um, a horn section, like in, in backing part of the band. It's like, it's full on one yeah. of the stage, you know, huge part of the band is what it is. It's part of the show. So yeah. we feel equal, which is, which is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good feeling, but that, but the thing is the mute, that music, uh, the music is, uh, that that's what it's, that's what it entails. It entails us up there. That's what it's it's built around that.
1: Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Well, you know, and you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, your dad was a trumpet player and, uh, you know, that, that, that Maynard, uh, concert, like so many of us, I, I, I think that 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 seems to be one of the most common responses to people like when you say like well what, what was the one concert that you saw the the one person that you listened to that kind of made you go, oh, man, I really want to do this And Maynard is one of the, one of those cats you know uh, that, that really kind of changes your perspective on on trumpet but but who are some of the other people that you know <sighs> you? in your uh your earlier years of, of development and and maybe even you know who are some of the people now that you're listening to that're going man you know th- this is really some cool stuff and i need to i need to start digging in deeper into this so um
0: i've i've always grown up i've been a huge oh let's start with my dad so so my dad was a trumpet player um he um actually in the fifties like nineteen fifty eight he would actually Uh, He worked on the Queen Mary cruise ship that went between London and New York so he he would play he played in one of the small quintets in there so he would travel backwards and forwards to New York in the 50s 1958 was his main year he was on the boat. So he got to see everybody in, uh, on 52nd Street in New York. He saw Bird, he saw Dizzy, he saw Miles, he saw Maynard's Band, Buddy Rich. He saw everybody here in New York every time he'd come here. And he'd also, he, you know, he'd pick up a horn as well, go back with a horn. Like he, he got his, a couple of Martin committees in the 50s here. Um, he got a, a great con constellation. So that was like his favorite years of his life with that because he got to see his heroes plus you know travel as well. So my dad was his his influences who he loved who made him pick up the trumpet. First was Harry James, he heard Harry James and then he got onto Dizzy Gillespie and then Chet Baker. So those three were like his main influences. And that music was always on in our house growing up. So Elliot and myself growing up we were always around you know big band music, Stan Kenton, uh, Dizzy Gillespie, like my dad had this, still, uh, there's, a, there's a collection at my mom's house now of his 78 records, 78s, and there's just, I mean, he's got 150 78s from back in the day, of all that early Dizzy stuff, um, and, you know, Chet Baker and, and, and Harry James, so, those were his influence, Th- that's who I heard growing up, um, until suddenly, my I think my dad, he bought me one Christmas time, he bought me like a, a, a best of trumpet cassette. And that's when I first heard Clifford Brown. Mm. And then and then also there was Freddie Hubbard on there too, but I wasn't ready for Freddie yet. I wasn't. So I, I, need, I needed a minute to get there. But Clifford was like, Oh, who's this man His articulation and his lines. So that's in, so in my early teens, and I kind of got into Clifford Brown a little more. Uh, and then uh, as I got into college, I then really got into Freddie Harvard and Woody Shaw, really started you know discovering the whole lineage of the trumpet uh, and I think at that point, you know I'd always been a, a maynard fan you know I'd always been into maynard and uh, but i, I really <clears throat> I think I understood that there's it it's, doesn't happen on many other instruments, but there's two very distinct paths with the trumpet um you know, we, a lot of guys, either go down the lead trumpet path, or they go down the creative soloist path. Mm-hmm. And it's divided. Uh, and it's, it doesn't happen with many instruments. Uh, but trumpet is one of them that it happens where <clears throat> you kind of go between one direction or the other uh, at cer- at a certain point. And a lot of the time, the creative players don't have the chops to play lead. And, and a lot of the times the lead players uh, aren't interested in being creative. Right. Um, so there's this kind of divide on the instrument, you know, and it, the thing is, the trumpet is so physical, as we know, it takes so much just to maintain one of those aspects. That we fo- only have a certain amount of time in the day to focus on something so so either, either focusing on the lead stuff or focusing on the, uh, the creative side soloing side harmonic jazz knowledge all of that so. I've always loved both. I've always felt like I've been influenced by both. I love like those early Maynard, Maynard records. I love Chet Baker. I love Woody Shaw. You know, I love Tom Harrell. I, I mean, I've, I think all of those together, and, and also trying to think about how you could try and be able to do all of those together and not divide yourself into either one or the other, I think is an important aspect of, uh being a trumpet player today yeah we are expected to be able to do whatever is put in front of us and you know i think having those influences and not having the mindset of okay i'm just going to do this or i'm just going to do that i think having being open to be able to try and um keep both sides of that of the trumpet you know on an equal kind of level where Mm -hmm. okay because a lot of us we, we might go like this or like this but trying to keep both of them on a very equal par, I think is important to be able to work, you know, and also express yourself. Like if I only had an an octave and a half range, you know, I wouldn't be able to say what I want to say as a creative player, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to keep both halves. And that's when I teach too, that's one thing I think is really important. I always divide the lesson into two halves. We have creative improvisational half, and then we have trumpet half. And I think if we don't do both of those, one of them will suffer. And then if one of them suffers, both of them suffer. So yeah. I think it's, in, it's important to really, um, to try and be able to do both, because in the end it's about music and we wanna be able to speak, create music when we want to with as much range flexibility that we, we can have to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, that you, you brought up a really great point there. And, you know, I've had a number of people uh, talk about this. Uh, I, like uh, Bobby Shue was really big on this. It's, you know, talking about like, um, you know, the, the best lead players are also really good jazz players, you know, in terms of like the ability to, to sit in the section and to drive a section in a big band, particularly uh, to swing and things like that the The people that are the best d- at doing that can do both they They can play the high notes they can they can they can improvise because then you know, that gives you the 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 technical facility to play the entire range of the instrument, but at mm-hmm. the same time it also gives you uh, the feel that and the the emotional connection to the music that you get as as that as you're saying like as a as a creative. Um, and I think even like with with legit players uh, I think that's sometimes the thing that that so many are 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 missing you know they've got all the technique in the world but there's the soul is missing sometimes and I think that that when you tap into uh, improvisation you know you, you don't necessarily have to be able to play blazing bebop but when you tap into that ability to freely emote through your instrument, then that makes everything sound so much more musical and it connects with other people so uh I'm, i really want to dive into that a little bit more in terms of like your approach to trumpet pedagogy because you you're a uh, uh, trumpet teacher at, at northwestern uh great big 10 school uh, i give you props for that uh not much of a football program there but you know what we'll <laughs> we well, get <into> that. <laughs> well,
0: let's not talk about
1: that <laughs> yeah, I, yeah i'm in ohio state for law. wildcats <laughs> but cool colors i love purple um but
0: get back there that's good yeah, so you got it you got You're it on it man you on it
1: uh, but in terms of of the way you approach pedagogy you know um and it's uh, specifically about the creative side what are some of the techniques that you use to elicit that uh from players because i think so many people are afraid of improvising just like so many people are afraid of public speaking Uh, you know, how, how do you help people to, to do that, to start to, you know, to feel comfortable with expressing their ideas?
0: Well, I think it's, it's like anything. It's like, you have to learn the language. Um, I think it's important, um, to go through the trumpet lineage and listen and transcribe, um, People's solos and language now not not for the sake of taking their lick and playing this lick here and that kind of thing but just to understand i'm a huge advocate of transcribing but not for the reason of learning licks but to understand concepts to understand a concept of what an improviser is doing certain way that he approaches certain chord patterns or two five ones you know what he's thinking over that i think it's important to not say, oh, okay, I learned this lick, I'm gonna place this lick, lick number 27 in this part of my solo tonight. You know, That to me is not improvising. That's preconceived, premeditated. Uh, that, that's not being in the, in the moment creating music. That's not to me what that's about. So, but learning the language and understanding, okay, um, this is how this person, this trumpet player, this is how he thinks harmonically over these changes. Um, and figuring that out and then taking that concept and now you thinking the same way and thinking harmonically a certain way over some some changes like that to me is that it's like giving you the formula for you to be creative mm-hmm. in the style of whoever we're looking mm-hmm. at so going through the whole trumpet lineage is like that i think it's important to do that to learn the language transcribe and figure out and get the feelings of the way certain players play um and and figure out what it is that made them who they are. Because everyone has that certain twist that they did that made them who they are. Um, So I think it's important to study that. I think it's important to know what it is about each player as we go through the lineage, and then take that and be able to use it and add yourself and your own creativity to that. So, it's like learning any language if you want to learn French or German you've got to learn the vocabulary first but then you're not going to go and say someone else's speech or someone else's sentences you want to say your own right. you know so so that but you need those tools to be able to say that but in the end it's about it. and what I think is important is about finding the concepts for each player the way that they thought and the way they approach things and then taking those concepts and using them yourself to be you but you can be influenced by certain harmonic things that they would do
1: yeah yeah and i wish i had known that when i was younger um you know that that's one of the things that uh, if i could go back and change anything about you know my earlier development in playing that would would be one of the things that 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 i would do which is do more transcriptions because i had the wrong idea about transcriptions i always thought it was like okay well you you learn someone solo and then you know learning their licks basically which Um, I, I, immediately was like, well, why would I want to do that? If improvising is, you know, creating your own, expressing your own thoughts. Um, so I didn't understand that at, at an early age and, and, you know, like I said, I, I would change it if I could, but, uh, but one of the things that, that, that you know, later on, as I started to understand more of what it was about, it's like, you know, listening to, uh, you know, you mentioned one of my favorite players of all time, uh, Woody Shaw, like listening to Woody and how he his no, his note choices. Like Woody and Miles, I thought, were really great in terms of note choices. Woody and his use of of the sixth of a chord, you know, which you're usually told, never play the sixth, it sounds bad. But then you listen to Woody and how he would stick those sixths in, and it's like, wow, that is such a really unique sound in a a melodic construction. And uh, and and how it creates this really beautiful tension that that he would then resolve, especially like on on his more melodic flugelhorn kind of kind of playing. It's like wow. And Miles, you know, you, Miles is never going to play the predicted note, you know, but it's it's how he chose to place whether you know the the extensions on on a chord, um, and getting that the 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 idea, the feeling that that those kind of notes give you. And then incorporating that in your playing, I think those are are just the the real cool ideas, and it allows you to be that that unique person.
0: Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Like un- under also understanding how somebody's trumpet language their their um, their language has changed from one person to the next, and what it is that's changed in that language and they're improvising like Woody Shaw like uses a lot of force and a lot of fifths in his playing right in his improvising before that I mean if you listen to uh, like Clifford Brown it's all minor thirds a lot of like the bebop lines are all more connected third mm-hmm. minor thirds so suddenly now the intervals are getting bigger that's why Woody sounds I mean he's influenced by Coltrane and so it's like he that those larger intervals, fourths and fifths, we weren't used to hearing those on the trumpet. So now you hear that and that's like, oh, okay, why does it sound different? Because those larger intervals we're not used to hearing. And also his concept on what he's gonna, what chords he's superimposing over other chords as well is what gave him his sound, you know, like understanding those things and and being able to then, okay, so now I understand it, what do I practice? What do I practice to get those in my playing so practicing things with more fourths and more fifths in them you know exercises with fourths and fifths just so you get that sound in your ear and you can start thinking like that because in the, like the like I said the earlier language with bebop tends to be a lot closer intervals minor thirds is is as we're going through the changes like this and not thinking uh, horizontally through the changes as you know as it gets into like post bop and more Kind of modal stuff, now it's suddenly we're thinking vertically through the changes. We're thinking, okay, let's take a, a, a motif, a small little four note pattern, but it and that, but it and that, but it and that, but it and that, being able to move that around, it's changing the thinking, the language is changing. So the, the thinking of improvising is now not like this way, it's now mm-hmm. this way. That's the way I, I i look at it anyway. Mm-hmm. So, in, a, in more modal playing, you're now thinking about you know smaller shapes rather than lines you're thinking about shapes more and just moving them around and creating different things with shapes and tension too building tension playing a half step off and then resolving it that kind of thing it's all something that kind of happened in the later lineage of the of of jazz going through the modal era like here a lot of you know saxophone players piano players mccoy and what mccoy is doing what train is doing you know that kind of thing and and this is another thing too, like as, as a trumpet player, don't limit yourself to just listening to trumpet players. Because to me, all the great trumpet players that I listen to were influenced by different instruments. They are influenced by everybody. Just because a, you know you listen to a piano player of the same era of a trumpet player from the same era, the language is gonna be very different based on the limitations of the instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, certain things we can do on the trumpet, that, we, that, the, that uh, uh, you know, maybe a, a piano player can do much easier on the piano than we can on the trumpet. That's why their language sounds different, but it's coming from the same place at the same time period. So they're kind of being, the language is the same, but influenced differently because of the
1: instrument. Yeah. Well, so and, and you know, and thinking
0: outside that box.
1: Yeah. And, and you know what, That that's such a cool concept because, um, you yeah, know, granted, this is a trumpet, you know, podcast but um recently i was listening to um a uh, a podcast where they were talking about um eddie van halen Mm and you know but you know who didn't love van halen uh and and eddie did so much to change the sound and the approach to guitar and rock and roll music but his approach to guitar was influenced actually by his piano playing you know, so when, when he when he was soloing, uh, you know, all the hammer on and stuff like that, uh, that was really that that was his drawing on his skills that he attained as a, a piano player, uh, as opposed to a, a guitar player. And so he just, you know, brought that over. And now and now that has become uh kind of stock in the guitar world.
0: Oh well, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, that, that's such a, a a cool thing. It's like, well, the the only way that you're going to, to uh, sometimes to raise the level uh, or to evolve a specific art form is not necessarily just through refining the techniques that are already there. The approaches that are already there. It's drawing those outside sources.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Like Alan Holdsworth guitar player too.
1: Oh, Uh, I love Alan Holdsworth.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, when you read his book or you in, uh, read his, uh, his life story, he talks about not wanting to play guitar at all. He wanted a saxophone because he heard Coltrane and was like, that's what I want to do. But then took that whole contract, uh, Coltrane concept and brought it to the guitar playing legato. Nobody played legato before him. I mean, the whole legato thing on guitar. So, and his harmonic thing is so deep and technically so deep too. So like how, that, how he was influenced from a saxophone player uh, to play guitar and stretch the limits of the guitar, same way like you said, Eddie was. Um, it, I mean, to me, that's how um, that's how our instrument progresses and has progressed. It's because it's influenced by something not the norm and makes that person stand out and be something slightly different. You know.
1: Yeah, all the things you can do with those three valves—it's—it's uh, it's amazing.
0: <laughs> And that, you know, isn't that such a backwards concept? Like when someone says to you, oh, you've only got three buttons. It's like, no, 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 no. I have to do with these three buttons the same that they have to do with all of that. They've got all the keys in front of them. They've got, I've got to do all the same with just three. It's backwards. Yeah. It's way harder. <laughs> yeah, that,
1: yeah. That's, that's what got me playing trumpet, the, that uh, that misconception that three would be easier.
0: It's easier, exactly. <laughs> we have to spread that. We have to spread those words. <laughs>
1: exactly um so uh let's let's kind of go back to the the bsnt uh world a little bit um how did you end up getting that gig and and uh you know you're you're the the md for the show as well correct correct yeah yeah, yeah so you've been you've been on that for for a a, for a minute or two so uh what, what yeah, about,
0: probably about five six years at this point yeah. um i I'd subbed a couple of times on the band um and then um and then i think they had a personnel change and they called me in to like maybe do i did about maybe two or three months regularly um and it just came a regular thing after that i mean i didn't i didn't technically uh, i didn't get the gig until i'd probably been playing with the band probably about six months straight solid but I, i mean i was subbing pretty much on every gig at that point Um, But I think you you just start with subbing, you know, you sub for somebody here or there, and then uh, if they like your playing, they like your attitude. Um, I think with any gig, there's a lot, it's not always about just about the playing. It's about are you on time, Um, are you reliable, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, And if all of those boxes check, I think then you get the opportunity to come back and and see if you're a good fit, you know. Mm
1: Yeah. Well, actually that now is going to take us down another little rabbit hole here Um, because I'm, I'm a a firm believer. um, My uh, is my high school band director who uh, told me, you know, that your, your talent, your talent will get you the gig. Your, your personality will keep the gig. And um, I kind of live by that. Yeah, Um, And, as as someone who you know, with with you being an educator, you know, working with with young uh, up and coming trumpet players, is that something that you do? I mean, not just helping to, helping them to learn to navigate the horn, but but do you help them to navigate the the social skills that are necessary to become successful? In the, the world of professional music, is there something that something that, that you offer them in, in terms of, of guidance and mentoring and uh, you know, even I know people do, have it as part of the, their, their, uh, their curriculum, uh, so how do you do that and you know what are the kind of things that you that you you present to your, your students to help them in this process.
0: But i think the the very things I just said are really important um outside obviously there's ton of great players out there um i think you've you've still got to be um you've got to have the other stuff together too to be able to stay in a gig um being being a good guy being you know trying to be a good person doing the right thing i think is important um i think um, being on time is important, I think, uh, you know, being able to travel well and not, not have too many demands on travelling. I know some people that, you know, they've, uh, it, some people are amazing players. They don't like to travel. They don't travel well. I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, if, if we're going to go for a gig where we have to travel a lot, we have to be prepared to travel and not, you know, get upset by the travel. So I think there's a there's a bunch of things I, I try and teach all my students that you know uh, make as many friends as you can because that's how um, you know friendships are uh, how you get gigs friendships are how you keep gigs uh, it's about you know trying to have a, a good network of good friends and good people around you I think so um, I yeah I think uh, yeah I think that's that's kind of that's kind of the approach that I go with go with my students and, and obviously be over prepared for a gig. when you get called for a gig, to me um, first off if you get called for a gig, uh, you're lucky because you should be think of it of like okay I'm lucky I'm getting called for this gig uh, because there's like I said there's tons of musicians out there um, so and trumpet players out there. so with that, You should do your homework you should be prepared for the gig um don't show up to the gig unprepared because um being unprepared i think is disrespectful to not only the music it's also disrespectful to the people you're playing with Um, and i think that's one thing that through the years i actually i now i've got to a point where i almost Mm -hmm. memorize a gig learn it before I get to it. If I have the opportunity to do that, and I have the time to do that, um, just so that it sits in me and I'm so comfortable when I get to the gig, I don't have to worry about certain things. Um, And I I know I play my best when I am comfortable and not in a situation of stress or worrying about something. Um, It's like like the Broadway show mentality. Um, You know, when, when you go to do a Broadway show, you're given one opportunity really to go in and do it. And you sit at home and you have conductor videos, you have audio and you have the book that you go through and you sit and you practice it. And if you're smart, you'll go through that book once, twice a day, a week, two weeks going up to the two weeks going up to the show. So you're really comfortable in playing it. And when you get to the uh, to get to the show, you have that one opportunity to play. it. If you do a good job, you'll get asked back. If you don't, you won't. Uh, so that's the reality of it so getting the opportunity itself is hard in the first place so don't take it for granted and don't don't think uh I just I I just think show it some respect show some the music some respect and and be as well prepared as possible
1: yeah oh well, that's great advice that's that's absolutely solid um and it got me the thinking about something um i know that you know Every trumpet player has uh, a warm-up that they use um, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of times people only focus on the the, the mechanical side of the warm-up so they have their, their physical rituals to go through um, but I think when especially when you're in uh, the live performance uh, thing you know, when you're in a venue when you're especially at a gig like that you have right now with with BS&T and you know some of the other stuff that you've done uh, that are you know fairly high profile gigs, um i think that there also has to be a level of mental preparation that you go through so do you have like kind of a go through process go to process that you uh, apply to get yourself mentally and emotionally ready to hit the stage not just you know getting your 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 chops going
0: i mean this is this is a really good question because the majority of the time we just do physical warm-ups. We don't do any mental warm-ups or creative warm-ups. How many times have we got to say a big band gig and we've warmed up, we've warmed our chops up, we've warmed, you know, everything's feeling good. And then we've got 16 bars to play. And it's like, go, and then boom, it's over. It's like wait a second, I haven't, you don't even give yourself the opportunity to warm up the creative side of your playing or warm up something. So this is another thing I talk, talk about with my students when we do our, I have a set like kind of warm ups that I do just to help myself get from A to B as quickly as possible, you know, so I'm ready to play. Um, but there's, that also entails playing a tune and also entails playing, like improvising something, whether it's just something small or blues, but anything just to be creative, just to suddenly, you know, brush out those cobwebs um and think you know get get to playing something creative on the horn as quickly as possible so that when I do have to suddenly go on stage now and and play I'm not stuck for ideas I'm not just suddenly like I'm I'm warm here but I'm not warm here it's like you have to be both and it's something that we don't enjoy the time I, I never used to think about that until I got to that moment of where oh, I just had a 16 bar solo in the big band. What did I play? I don't even remember what I played and where where did it, where did it, what was it influenced by or what? I don't know. I wasn't even thinking about it. It went by so quick. So that, I think it's important to not only warm up this, but also think about and maybe play something creative every day as well as a warm up too, to, just to warm up your creativity and, and, and get you know some, something flowing um, to help when you do have to just hit it yeah, yeah. Wow, that's
1: solid advice man that's why I love doing this man you get all kinds of great ideas from people so you know I uh, and, and like you said I think it's one of those things that people don't think about no. that often. yeah you know, I, I, I
0: didn't I didn't for the longest but then until suddenly one day I was like wait a second I spent all this time warming myself up <laughs> physically and then And I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to say something on the trumpet. I wasn't ready to be creative. I hadn't even thought about being creative until suddenly it was on, it was upon me. And it's like, now just play. This is my moment to play. I said, wait a second. My mind is thinking about this. I was worried about this. I missed, I, I couldn't get a cab to the gig or something. You know, something is still bothering me that I hadn't let go of before I started playing music. And a lot of the times it's just letting go and just being in the moment. Yeah. And, and, and really like being in the moment and, and I like to try somehow to, whatever's happened to me that day, whatever I, I've been going through that day before I go on stage, have that be a part of my solo that night, be influenced by something. Because every day is different. I mean, the day has gone like that. But to have each night's performance be influenced by what you went through that day or what you went through that week, have it have some meaning. I think that's uh, that's also another thing that's important to kind of let it let go of things, let mm-hmm. things out, <clears throat> use that moment to let things out and, and to let go of things. So,
1: yeah, yeah, that yeah that that's, I think that's key because, um, you know, with it, improvising being an expression of of your your emotions and your intentions and things like that, um, you know, you, you can play the technically greatest solo in the world but if you really aren't saying anything you know if there's no no emotion to it there's there's no uh intention behind it then it's meh you know it, it it's i think it's, it's so important to have have an idea of what you're trying to say not just play licks
0: exactly to so me my favorite players my favorite trumpet players are always guys that play from the heart you can tell and what they're playing, it connects to me. And it's like, I, I can feel it. I can feel what they're playing. They still have technical ability. Some of them are still technical geniuses, but their playing comes from this. Uh, and it's when, I think to me, my favorite players are guys that mix this with this, with a bit of this too. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's like if they, all of those come together, that, that, that pathway of like coming from the heart yeah, with with some Harmonic knowledge, um, playing from the heart, harmonic knowledge with good chops and range. Those, that's my favorite style yeah. of, of, of musician or someone who can mix that, mix that all together. Yeah. Um, I, I, I tend to gravitate towards those players the most.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. Yeah, I, you know, one of my teachers, um, he talked about the importance of, um, you know, kind of getting your head in the right space for sound. And um, so I started noticing, you know, like you know, I, I have my my preferences on what I like to listen to, Uh, and so I I started to become more deliberate. Like if I'm if I'm on my way to a big band gig, then I spend I'm on the drive I'm listening to you know Gordon Goodwin's band, or I'm listening to you know Harry Connick recordings, so, because you know I two of my favorite lead trumpet players of currently in some somewhat of all time you know wayne bergeron and, and roger ingram i love those two guys i love their sound i like the feel so i'll listen to that or I'll, you know listen to some some old Kenton or, or things like that if i'm on my way to a you know playing with a, an r&b band I'm, I'm gonna you know sit and listen to top or, or earth wind and fire or things like that to, to get that sound and that feel in my head uh you know because i, I found that like if if i would do the opposite if i'm on my way to a big band gig and i'm listening to you know jerry hey i'm gonna approach it you know from that that place which is i mean if i could play like jerry it'd be great but uh but it's not the right it's not the right sound for that
0: that's that's a great great uh well statement right there that's a great statement because um there's there's a bunch of things you said in there that are really important like um First off, um, the two lead trumpet players that you mentioned, some of the greatest of all time, uh, are, are why, are they, why are they working? They're not working because they have high chops. They're working because they're super musical trumpet players. And in the end, it always boils back down to music. That's what we're playing. It's not about high notes. It's about being musical. And they're both musical in the upper register. That's why they're working. Right. And that's why they're, they're the legends that they are. Um, and also, going, you say, like, Jerry Hay, Jerry Hay, the horns, Jerry Hay's horn section, to me, is one of the greatest of all time. But when you say, okay, lead trumpet horn section and lead trumpet big band, very different things, conceptually. The way notes are cut off, held, vibratos, no vibratos, short attacks, bite off notes. If, this is two different concepts, too. So you can have someone that's greater A might doesn't necessarily mean he'll be great at B, that kind of thing. So listening musically too is exact, it's exactly the same thing. The musical aspect uh, is knowing the difference between those two, like exactly what, exactly what you said. A big band lead trumpet phrasing, you want to listen to that before you go to a big band because it's going to be different than a horn section phrasing. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it might be still the same notes in the same register, but it's going to be attacked, it's going to be played differently. And I think that's one thing that's really important to, um, to talk about. Like horn section playing is different than big band playing. Um, and that is, uh, is something that I try and, you know, get into with my students too. And also people that, players that I play with in, in different musical settings, understanding the difference between those two, understanding the difference between playing in a trumpet section and a big band and a horn section on a pop gig or you know it's it's a different approach a different way that we play um so I think that's something as well that's uh that's important to talk about and and distinguish between and listen to the different uh different uh, sides of those different different uh, players and sections and and big bands to hear the difference
1: yeah well yeah and speaking of which i mean like with with uh with b s and t you know there's the like you said earlier um that band, the horn section, uh, a little, I don't want to say looser, but, um, you know, def- definitely more on the, the jazz side than, than other sections. Um, b- but it, there, there's a very distinctive kind of energy that you get from, uh, especially if you listen to the, the early recordings, Um it, in your concepts, as as, as the, the MD for that 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 show now, uh, what are you know? If you had to describe what the sound and the feel of the horn section for Blood Sweat and Tears is, as opposed to any other horn section, how would you categorize it? How would you describe it?
0: Um, I would I would say that um, I think now we the section right now is uh, we have definitely tightened things up. Uh, the section is really tight right now uh, and I think that cutoffs, breathing together, articulations together, that kind of thing is really important to me uh, as the lead trumpeter with that and, and making and making the, uh, the section tight, that's important to me, those things. The way that we, you know, we don't sit on a note, so we don't want to swell on the note, The sound I don't want us just to sit, uh, on the note and the cutoffs together, everything is important for the section to sound like a unit. And tuning, obviously. Um, so I think in the history, you know, I think as things nowadays, I think it's it's important um, for a section to be tight. I don't want it, the section to be loose just for the sake of it or I'll be like, oh, this is how things used to get played or if they were, you know, so I'd much prefer, prefer that we make the performance now as great as we can make it, as good as we, can, uh, we have the ability to make it. Uh, by being as tight as possible, and the rhythm section as tight as possible, uh, the endings of songs, the beginning of songs, um, just everything being as, as on the highest level we can achieve, you know. So, I think yeah, certain bands, like I think Tower, um, are renowned for that really, really uh, tight articulation, um, and that's part of their sound. Um, but I think BS and T has I think it's gone through stages. Certain songs and certain eras of the band, Um, the section has been super tight, and in other eras, it's been a little, you know, maybe a little more jazz influenced, like you said. Um, But I think right now we we try and bring as as much uh, tightness and cleanliness as possible to the to the section.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's a a feeling like um with uh, one one of my recent uh interviews with with my friend uh, uh tyler yeager tyler was talking about the difference between his impression his impression of the difference between the la sound and the new york sound and said that you know new york tends to have a little more of an aggressive approach to music you know it's just there, there's a little more in your face la is a, a little it's
0: the weather it's the weather man <laughs> <laughs> the weather sucks sometimes <laughs> and i think that makes everybody that has have some edge in the end i think yeah but i, I know what you're saying but it's the same in, in i think in soloing too there's a vibe in new york and uh, there's a certain vibe uh soloing wise being creative as well that is it's just a new york thing where it just has vibe it just has intensity and i think that comes from the city and i think Um, from living here for so long, I've lived in New York now 25 years. um, I think that it just becomes a part of who you are and part of um, just your everyday life. And as a musician, uh, it's kind of, it's just, it is part of the New York sound. It's a little more aggressive. It's a little more, I want to say in your face a little bit more. It's a little bit more like, eh, you know, it's, 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 but it's, you know it's something that i've grown to love and i miss that when i don't hear that sometimes in other people's playing mm-hmm. i like that feeling of like when someone just holds on one note just like with that with that vibe you know that, that 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 to me is what i hear that in new york i feel that in new york
1: and is, is that the part of the the T sound the the uh that little new york well, the the sec I mean the section
0: is all uh, all of us are based out of New York the horn section is based out of New York and are all New York guys and I think that's been pretty consistent um, uh, we have subs you know all over, from all over the country if we need them um, guys that have you know subbed with the band but I think the majority of the time uh, since I've been in the band the section has always been based out of New York and there's something it, it's just it, it also it, it enables us to to rehearse if we need to and that kind of thing but um i I really think there's a certain vibe though in New York that you you get or you hear while you're playing here or you feel it from here so it, it just it's just having people on the same page you know yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the same way and hear the same way that's it
1: yeah well, speaking of on the same page uh you know besides your work with uh Bless Wet and Tears and uh you also have uh the Mason brothers. Uh, yes, indeed. You, you and your, your brother. Uh, what's it like working with your brother?
0: Well, uh, it, it's honestly the best. It's the best times I have in my life are on stage with him. That's it. Just period, full stop. Um, I, I don't, we both don't get a chance because of both of our schedules. We don't get a chance to, to do much of the Mason Brothers Quintet right now. He's, he's been with Jazz at Lincoln Center, Winter Marsalis' band. He's been in that for coming on 14 years, I think, at this point. And their travel schedule is, you know, and and he's also the trombone teacher at Juilliard. So he's, with those two jobs, he's very, very busy. Plus he's got a little three-year-old right now, my nephew, who's who's adorable. Um, So Mason Brothers Quintet has, it's, you know, we don't do many gigs right now, although I'm looking forward to hopefully doing some some more soon. Uh, We're definitely writing some more music right now for another record. but getting to play with him, I mean, I I don't have uh, a strong musical connection with anyone as I do with him. Uh, we grew up together. We we listened to the same music at the same time. We discovered people at the same time. You know, discovered musicians at the same time. So I'm so close musically with him. And when we get on stage, like off the thing we enjoy doing more than anything is just improvising together and seeing where it goes having a conversation and and like doing stuff have it come together maybe we'll be in harmonies like this together then he does something I do something we come back and we're together like this so from for me like I that's something that's really special uh, I don't I haven't been able to have that relationship with uh, anything like that with a, uh, any other musician it's really it's quite quite a special bond and plus he is one of the I had as trombone play as I've ever heard in my life. So to hear, just to, to stand and hear him do what he does next to him and then be a part of that, create music with him, it's a blessing, absolute blessing.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, like you're saying, you know, when you, when you have that kind of shared sensibility, musical sensibility, then that can lead to some very, very um, interesting expressions because, it, you know, it is it, it, your ability to feed off of each other. Uh, it, it is that natural conversation, and I think sometimes that uh, you know the the people that you know when you, when you look at uh, like historically, uh, even um, you can get two really great players and put them together, and they'll sound great. But it's a different thing when you have two great players who have some level of common bond, whether it's you know that they've been friends for life, their family, or they just they just have that that melding of uh you know of the mind sort of thing where where they're where they feel super super connected uh that's when you know so much magic really really happens and um yeah, we,
0: that, i've had some of my funnest moments on the stage where I, I just start giggling because i was like wait i i can't even believe that just happened right now like we we play a line together at the same time just out of nowhere and you like what what but it's, it's some of those magical moments you know they they happen when you play have played with somebody for so long and you kind of know how the other person thinks uh, and then you know it just yeah it's 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 pretty it's like i said like i said it's my it's my funnest moments uh, playing my instrument with my brother it's, it's awesome um and i hope we hope we're going to do some more of it coming up soon uh this next couple of years record another record and and, and play and tour a little bit more would be fantastic
1: yeah, that sounds great. Because I w- I would love to hear that. I mean, I would love to see that because I'm sure that it's just uh, the the energy would just be palpable. You know, just to to be a part of that would be a, a great pleasure. So, and it's
0: course, also one one thing that I think is important, and this goes back to all the way back to the beginning with 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 playing uh, with two trumpets with BS as well. I think it's not it's about being a team player, and that's what I feel when I play with my bro. And that's actually how I feel when I play with. Um, in a horn section, the same thing. It's always about being a team player and knowing your role and trying to help the other person next to you sound better. If that's your concept and, and, and concept of like, okay, we're gonna create music now and, and I want this guy next to me to, to, to play better or feel better or something like that. If you can take that mentality um, to me, it's like that's that's where I have the most fun, and I think, as, especially in in a horn section, as a horn section, like four guys, like trying to keep, you know, trying to uh, help all four guys, all of us help each other and as a team to play a certain way, and and cut offs the same, breathing the same. That that's uh, it, if everyone has a team, um, a team mentality on that. In the end, the goal the 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 section itself is going to sound way better and and yeah it's it's i think having that team mentality rather than a uh, a, a single mentality is, is is better in music
1: yeah yeah absolutely i agree 100% all right well we've got a few segments that we need to get through uh before I can let you go. Uh the first one is uh brought to us by uh, my good friend Michael Barkley by Barkley Microphones. It's sound off. And uh in Sound Off, what I'm gonna do is I want to talk about um your approach um to developing the right kind of sound for the job. Uh you know, particularly uh you know as we were talking about uh, bs and T a a lot, um, and I, I think that, that that's one of the things, you know, most of us uh, that are playing, uh, I think the majority of gigs are actually commercial gigs, you know, uh, bar bands, cover bands, things like that. And there's a certain kind of sound that you need for that, that kind of gig. And um, so what are, what are some of the, the things that you suggest people do in terms of uh, developing the, the right kind of, kind of sound for, for a horn section as opposed to playing in a big band thing?
0: Well, I think equipment is, is a huge, uh, having the right equipment for the job that you're going to go to is a huge, huge, uh, important thing to have. Um, the right trumpet and the right mouthpiece for the job that you're going to do. Um, I, uh, I, I stay on the same, exactly, the, I play GR mouthpieces and um, I love their mouthpieces and I have exactly the same cup diameter. Uh, of three different mouthpieces, but I switch with the different depths, depending on the sound that I need. Um, it's about, I think, having the correct sound for the situation that you're in. Um, uh, also, if, if I can for a second, I'll show you this This is BAC Maverick trumpet that I helped design with BAC. And the concept of this horn was that I wanted a horn that I could change from being dark to bright. Um, so I can play in a jazz quintet and then have the same horn and play lead in BS and T on it. So the concept was, let's come up with a horn that we can uh, change and, and manipulate the sound on. Not the, not the way it feels, but keep this the way It feels the same, but let's change the sound. So we came up with the Maverick model of, uh, over at BAC in Kansas City. And we have interchangeable lead pipes here uh inside the sleeve here unscrewable lead pipes where we keep the dimensions the same so the horn sound uh, feels the same sorry but um the lead pipe uh, the lead setup is made of uh, nickel silver nickel silver lead pipe and then also change out the tuning slide nickel silver tuning slide so it's super bright and responsive the horn right now uh you put your lead mouthpiece in here and it sounds really bright now then over here i have copper this is a copper lead pipe I'll put the copper lead pipe into the horn with the copper tuning slide copper tuning slide right here changes the horn drastically now to a much darker sound so I think having having the um having the idea of matching the right sound for the gig is important um I think gone are the days where one person plays the same mouthpiece and the same trumpet on everything they do i don't think that because with with the demand on us to to do so much nowadays is is much greater than it was i don't think that's feasible anymore i think we have to have and always think about the right equipment for the job that we're going to yeah so if you're going to a if you're going to a church gig you're going to play a different horn different setup than you are going to play lead in a big band or a horn section or if you're going to play a jazz quintet gig, you're going to play a different setup, purely based on the sound and how you want to, to, uh, the horn to sound and yourself to sound. You know? mm-hmm. So that was the concept with the, with the BAC Maverick, uh, was to have a trumpet that I used to play. I played a Taylor uh, trumpet for my, my jazz gigs and then I'd have a Bobby Shue Z, both great horns. And I just switched between the two, but I couldn't take both horns on the row with me and a flugelhorn, it just became... So I said, I, I need a trumpet that I can do both and switch the switch the actual uh, sound of it with. So that's that's what we ended up coming up with uh, in Kansas City with BAC. But so that, to answer your question, I think it's important to have the right equipment for the right gig, bottom line, that's it.
1: Yeah, well, cool. Well, and that and, and actually is the perfect segue into... Uh the uh the next segment which is our geared up segment where it is actually talking about the gear so you 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 got ahead of me on this but that's okay uh and this is brought to us by uh the Internet pieces of technology design and craftsmanship intersect uh if you uh, want to check them out uh, make sure you use the, the uh code trumpet gurus 21 and you get 10 percent off your purchase so uh, look, good looking out for you um but in terms of gear and you already talked about uh, about uh, your design and, and what you're using But I think, uh, you know, a lot of times people don't know how to go through these kind of processes to pick the right gear. So uh, what's some advice that you could give people on, you know, deciding how to go through the process of picking the gear that's going to give them the right sound they need?
0: Well, I think, um, well, first off, I don't like to change. Two things at once. I think you should always try and have some kind of. Uh, when you're looking for a new mouthpiece or a new horn, I think you should do one or the other at the same time, so you have some kind of continuous. So something that you can f- feels um, the same and, and and something that you can relate to rather than changing both. Um, but I would always, you know, I I mouthpiece I think is really important for feel. Um, and and feeling how, how certain registers and notes feel on the horn. I think the horn is really important for sound and val- the valve block is really important to me as a, as a trumpet player, I like to feel. The valve block has to feel a certain way that I can get around on it. Um, and then also the, obviously the horn with the, the sound of it, the, the actual tone of the horn uh, is really important. Um, But I think mouthpieces is is more about comfortability and then but having uh, like I like I said, I've always switched between mouthpieces, uh, but just the depths are different, the cup depths are different and maybe the backbore or the throat is different, uh, just depending on what sound I need for the gig. Um, If I need a dark trumpet sound, I usually have a deeper cup. Uh, If I if I have to play lead on something, I usually have a shallower cup with a different backbore or throat size just so that gets that lead sizzle sound that you need on the gig. Um and then same with the horn. Um I've always gone always gone with like a medium large setup. Um I've played large as so I had an MF horn, Holton MF horn for a while, and that was a big boy right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a great horn, but that's a big boy. Um, but, uh, and, and then I've had, uh, I've had other horns that are like a, a horn that was a medium ball, and that was, I just, it just felt too tight for me. So I've always kind of sat in the middle on medium large, and uh, I think it's really about sound and how you feel. And a lot of the times, you know, you can try a trumpet in the practice room, you can try it uh, in the store, and it feels amazing. And then five minutes into the gig, you're like, uh-oh. You know so it's not till a gig that you really know or i i feel you really know with a horn so it's always about okay can i can i try this one on a gig to see how it feels before i commit to it yeah uh, i think that's pretty important too And a lot of a lot of the stores a lot of great you know stores nowadays they'll let you have a horn for a week or something like that to try it out before you commit to it especially the prices they're at right now too but um i think uh it's not till you get on the gig until you realize, okay, this is good for me or it's not good for me, this horn. But I I think pretty safe if you're around about a 5C or a 3C on the trumpet, I think that's a pretty safe place to be. And I think a medium large horn is pretty safe to be too.
1: Yeah. So with your students, uh, when you're, uh, when you get new students at, at your college and you're, you know, kind of helping them through their processes, do you, uh, do you kind of have a A protocol that that you give them for you know how to look at doing any kind of gear changes
0: um i mean i I think everyone is different and that's it's important to respect that everyone's different everyone's jaw is different everyone's lips are different the makeup is different of our of our uh, faces and our nasal care everything is different so something that feels good to me is not necessarily going to feel good to the guy next to me and i think it's important that we can self um diagnose what is good and what is not for ourselves um, and what feels good and what maybe maybe with the help of somebody else what sounds good hey, oh, how, how does this sound this mouthpiece thing. but we're the only ones that know how it feels so i think usually i don't i don't like to impose what i have or what i do on other people on, on my students but i can say this is what i've found through the years i've gravitated towards this uh, because i feel this this is maybe this works well as a, as a good way to think about things um but I, I do suggest that i'm always having a like a two mouthpiece setup if they have to do and i, I encourage them to do both to play lead and to also be soloists and be creative on the instrument um so i do encourage that i encourage a two mouthpiece setup where you can do you know a on one and b on the other so um But as far as what size and what they feel comfortable with and what horn, that's, that's, I leave it up to them. But uh, if they, if they want advice or, you know, can you, can I try this? Can I try that? That's usually the best thing is just trying as much stuff as possible. Get a chance to actually try a horn. You'll know.
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned something about valve block um, and you're the first person who's ever mentioned valve blocks on this show. So uh, what, <laughs> you're talking about what you're looking for in a valve block. I mean, what is it specifically that that you're focusing in on? Um,
0: there's a feel there's a certain feel for valves um, that that I like when I used to switch between the Taylor and the Yamaha the biggest difference, although they're completely different style horns, um, and one is made of like, I wanna say one millimeter thick red brass, and the other one is, you know, is a a Yamaha, probably half a mil, 0.5 mil um, gold brass. Um, The horns are made of completely different materials. The thing that I had the most trouble with switching between those horns was the valve blocks because they were just very different. was one's not better than the other, but they just were very different in their feel. So when I, I would always practice and shed on my jazz horn and my deep mouthpiece, because then I felt if I went to a lighter horn or a lead mouthpiece, things felt easier. But I would always shed on the hardest equipment to shed on so that I kept my stamina and my playing at a certain level where I felt comfortable with it, and then could move it to the lighter equipment. But for me, the valve blocks were just so different in the way that the valves were. One had heavy caps, one had light caps. Um, so for me, I, I wanted to find, I wanted to not have to switch between those two valve blocks with just one horn. So that was important with the, with the Maverick, the BAC Maverick. It was like, I just want one horn with the same valve block that I'm used to, that we can then change the sound on it like that. But so the for me, the valve block, it's about how, uh, the spring setup, the tension of it, how, how each valve feels. Um, it has to be consistent. Uh, it has to have a certain resistance to it. I always have the rubber stops in it too, because I had the, the felt ones to me, they move. You can't get a good valve alignment with the felt ones. I think you have to have rubber in there so it stops at a certain point. And then when the valve get, valves get aligned there, will always be that The felt it dips a little more after a little amount of time, it gets squishy. So your valve alignment goes out and so the feel is every valve block is different, but there's, you know, you, I, I find the ones that I like, and we found a good, a good valve block for this horn to build it, build it around, base it around. Um, and we signed off on this valve block. And for me, that's, as a, as a soloist, it's like that's, my tongue and my fingers have to be connected. They have to be in line with each other. So uh, uh, the val- if the valve block's off or the valves are off, That connection is much harder to 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 deal with so
1: yeah oh cool cool that's great information so uh check your valve blocks people
0: (laughs) switch them out
1: (laughs) you can't switch them out (laughs) yeah all right well we got one last uh second to get through this is our uh robinson's remedy rapid fire round this is a series of uh, questions that bounce kind of all over the place and uh we just need your quickest response to these questions so brad are you ready for this
0: all right let's go uh,
1: let's do this all right starting out with this one who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player
0: oh um probably my brother trombone player
1: yeah okay that's good enough
0: all right I'll, I'll give you somebody else valentino rossi greatest motorcyclist of all times italian he just retired this year too but okay, that's that's another
1: I okay was... that's good all right what's your favorite book
0: uh, it's probably uh, Miles' autobiography.
1: I love that book. Yeah. I, I was going to say maybe it's Flexus. I see that over your shoulder there. Oh,
0: right there. <laughs> uh,
1: what's the worst movie you've ever seen?
0: Worst? Oh, boy. I don't know. I don't know. I've seen some pretty bad ones recently. I can tell you one of my favorites. I can switch the question on you.
1: All right. Well, what's your favorite?
0: One of my favorites, Shawshank Redemption.
1: Uh, okay, classic. Yeah. classic. That is absolutely a classic. I've uh, seen a lot of
0: bad ones recently, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. During COVID, I think it, it, there's been uh, a, an outbreak of bad movies as well. So, uh, and there's nothing you can do about it; just sit there and watch them. Uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? A pilot. Mm, okay. Uh, what's your favorite drink? Uh, tequila. On the rocks. Uh, uh, Blanco, Reposado. Uh,
0: Reposado, actually. I'm re- I really like the the George Clooney one right now, the Casamigos.
1: Yeah, that yeah, is a Tres good one.
0: Reposado, couple of ice cubes after a gig.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cas- I think that Casamigos Reposado is, I, I like it better than the añejo mm-hmm. yeah. I do
0: too. And I think there's a shortage of it right now. So get your bottles while you can.
1: Are you responsible for that shortage?
0: I am not, no, (laughs) but I will get, I will buy an extra one next time.
1: (laughs) I've noticed that myself. I I have a hard time finding decent tequila anymore in the store, so. I think it's
0: become popular. I like that, especially uh, during these times, too. I I feel it's, um, a lot of, like, I I like whiskey for a while. I like that, like a good whiskey, a Japanese whiskey, like Yamazaki or something like that, or Tika, really Mm -hmm. good, Um, but I just found that um i ended up with more heartburn uh, it was very acidic you know yeah. so uh, tequila to me is a little less less damaging
1: as the probiotics in it that's why yeah it's right, so good for you uh you could have a dinner party and invite any three living people any three people on the face of the earth right now could come to your party who would you want to invite
0: well, I definitely, this would go back to the question before, Valentino Rossi would be sitting at the table. Um, I don't know who else. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I guess, get, get, who, who would you have?
1: Who would I have? Man, yeah. if, if, I, if, if I were able to invite any three people right now, I would have uh, Quincy Jones.
0: Oh, yes, yeah.
1: The Dalai Lama. And uh, probably uh, Barack Obama.
0: Oh, nice. Very nice. I'm, I'll, I'll, stay, I'll, I'll put Winton in there because Winton is just an absolute um, encyclopedia of knowledge just to, just to hear him talk. I put Winton, Valentino, and let's pick, uh, uh, I'm going to pick another trumpet player just because I'm, I'm a trumpet geek at heart, uh, Jerry Hay, too.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Jerry could bring some good wine too. Cause uh, oh, he,
0: I've seen
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the collection. All right. So you've got three additional chairs at this table and you can invite any three people from history. Any three people that are no longer with us could be at this table for the dinner party as well. Who would you want to have there?
0: I'm going to stick with trumpet players too, because this is the trumpet form. Um, I got to have Freddie. I got to have Woody and I got to have, I got to have Clifford there.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Now now we're talking. Now that, that's that, the part.
0: Valentino's going to feel left out right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. All know, right. what, I, what
0: are they talking about?
1: <laughs> what is this trumpet thing? Um, <laughs> lacquer, plated, or raw? Say again? Lacquer, plated, or raw?
0: Uh, raw, definitely.
1: Okay. What's your favorite quote?
0: Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't have one,
1: okay, that's a good one. I don't have one, and then that could be your quote uh, What's your greatest fear? Uh,
0: I guess not being able to play the trumpet, something happening that I couldn't play it. I think that I think most musicians go through that of of not being able if we can't do what we've spent. All this time learning to do and we love doing i think that would be that would be a pretty scary moment yeah. i think not being able to do what we love and what we've spent our whole lives learning to do mm-hmm. that's pretty scary
1: all right you could be granted one superpower what <laughs> would it be <laughs> uh...
0: I guess I would have to say to, to be able to fly because then I could be a pilot and, and not have to have a plane and just go wherever I want to go and it gets into the whole pilot thing. So yeah, we'll, we'll go okay. with flying.
1: We'll go flying. Okay. One uh, aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated?
0: Overrated? Okay. Well, I got... I think the range thing on a trumpet is really it, it becomes such a I'm not saying it's over I mean it's, it, it becomes such a uh, a huge thing that we all all uh focus on and struggle with and and spend a lot of our time on on the instrument is building range. I think but in the end, you know, it's it's about music, so uh, I, I think if you ask the players that have the greatest range when they've got it, it's not a big deal to them anymore because they've got it. Right. You know, so I, think, I, think we, I think as players, we, we put a huge amount of, like, thing on. I've got to get range. I've got to get range. I've got to get high notes. And the players, I think, that in the end that do have it, after once you've got it, it's like, well, you know, I want to do, it's not the biggest deal to them. So maybe I think we, we put it on ourselves as trumpet players as range is the most important, one of those big things that, but in the end it should always be about music. So, Okay. Again, yeah, it's, it's. I wouldn't say it's over, it's not overrated, but it is it's something that I think we spend too much time making it the biggest of deals when, mm. you know, in the end, when we're called for something it's about playing music and it's not about what high notes we've got
1: right okay well the, the follow-up question is this is what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most underrated
0: i would say creative being a really good creative soloist i think is, is underrated i think a lot of people don't understand uh, the amount of depth and the amount of work it takes to be able to improvise in multiple different music genres so I think yeah I think solo soloists like it there's a a lot of soloists that are really beautiful trumpet players and they don't get the credit they deserve because maybe it's not something that you know gets house or something like that doesn't get people stand up and cheer after they play that kind of thing it's more of a subtle thing it's more of a beautiful musical thing So I think that side of playing, like someone like Chet Baker, like all about tone and and lines and sound, like that kind of playing, if somebody just played like Chet Baker today, it's harder for them to get the recognition that they would deserve without putting something else with that. So I think just in general, just creative players that play really beautiful, pretty playing, yeah.
1: All right, cool. All right. Um, you can go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be?
0: It would be um, try and develop uh, and be the best musician in, 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 the, in, the, in the widest categories possible. Don't don't think okay growing up i just thought oh i'm gonna play giant steps as fast as i can right now and i'll work and I'll, and I'll be able to do this and that because i can do that no it's trying to be as versatile as possible and trying to be able to do as many things as you can well i think uh, if i told myself in college i need to work on this and this so that when i get out of college i can work as a musician. I Work as a trumpet player, and it will make the side of my other side of my playing great too. I think uh, I wish I had understood that while I was in college. I mean, I, I I appreciate and 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 I value the amount of effort and time I put into certain things, but I wish I'd balanced it more. I wish I'd balanced what. Um, cause I then had to do a lot of hard work when I came out of college or later on to be able to try and bring the other side of my playing to where I thought it was or felt it was balanced with, with my improvising. So,
1: yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so while you're back there, you're going to give your younger self one piece of advice about life.
0: I think enjoy the moment, enjoy the moment that you're in because I look back on many moments where I was worried about something at the time or I was thinking about this at the time. And in the end, it's like our, our life is just chapters and it moves constantly. There's always change, constant change. You'd be working in this band for one minute, next this band for another. It's like, it's like this constant change so nothing is, nothing is uh, stays the same forever. So enjoy the moment you're in. Uh, and think of things as as chapters in your life because doors open doors close doors open doors close and and try not to worry too much about things you have no control over
1: yeah Uh, that's great advice all right final question brad what do you want your legacy to be
0: wow that's deep um I honestly, I would just, um, I would like to just leave something on this planet musically that um, I'm proud of and hopefully reaches people and makes people feel good. And um, that's just try and create some music and play trumpet to my highest ability and have people uh, enjoy it. That's it.
1: All right, cool. Well, Brad, thank you so much for taking, uh, taking time to, to hang with me and, and getting there. And, uh, I really enjoyed this. There's some really fantastic nuggets that, that you, uh, shared, uh, with us. And, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more of, of uh, of what you've got in store, both, uh, with, uh, your, your ongoing gig with, uh, BS and T and hopefully, uh, we'll, We'll get the mason brothers back out there and, and doing some stuff um i know. am
0: actually yeah i'm actually getting ready to record my own record right now so
1: Ooh, uh, even better
0: yeah that'll be uh hopefully coming out in about a year um i've more or less got everything written right now and that's going to be based uh kind of a horn section vibe but with a, a quintet jazz quintet but with a horn section as part of that kind of writing so just to to express the influences that i've had over the last 10 years of my life but uh i appreciate and also jose i appreciate you for having me here and being part of your your great podcasts uh with so much great trumpet knowledge that's come before here
1: oh man this is absolutely my pleasure and uh you know we're we're gonna stay in touch i guarantee you that we're gonna stay in touch and uh hopefully i'll be able to catch a i'm only a a few hours from new york so maybe i can get up there and start catching some live shows so uh yeah yeah I'll, I'll stay on top of your schedule. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Trumpet Guru's Hang. Make sure that you you know like, subscribe, do all that good stuff uh, so you can stay in touch with, with us. Make sure you uh, check out uh, Brad uh, and uh, follow him uh, on uh, the various social media platforms that he's on. And uh, just links are down in the show notes, as always. And uh, make sure you support our sponsors. So, uh, you know, we're all in this together. So... We appreciate you and hope nothing but the best for you. And as always, peace and slide grease, we out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like, and share this episode with a friend We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at The Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signor, And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group.